here with one of my leaders, pastors, former Dean, Vic Fomenko. Um, we're just going to be talking about some things. So why don't we start off with Vic, why don't you just tell us a little about where you came from and where you are now and what you're doing? Yeah, sweet. Well, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be here. Uh, my name is Vic and uh, Israel's one of my good friends. He was actually one of my Bible college students for a season in Ventura, California. And uh, yeah, but my passion is I am a uh, Bible guy. I'm a lover of Jesus. And my biggest passion is to see people's lives transformed by truth. So I really have given myself in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 to 20 years to discovering biblical truth and then applying it to everyday life for maximum transformation. Um, So currently living in uh, the Vancouver, Portland area here, moved here about a year ago from Southern California, spent nine years nearly nine years in Ventura, California. I was part of a church plant there uh, called the City Church um, in a beach town, beautiful area. And so we were there, my wife and I, and we helped uh, plant that church. I was on staff uh, as a pastor and my main role was really the director of a Bible college. So I got to be the director, leader of a Bible college for about eight years, seeing young people uh, just catch the truth and be transformed by it. So that's really kind of a little bit of my background, who I am, so yeah. Okay. Eight years is a long time at one place, you know, teaching. What was the process of how you got into that position in the first place? Yeah, so I grew up actually, so I was born in out of country in uh, Moldova, moved here in 89. So I was four years old. We moved to the Northwest to um, actually Coeur d'Alene and then Spokane. So I grew up um, in the church world. Uh I felt a call of God in my life at the age of 12, really felt a call of God to preach to, to preach the word of God. I ended up uh, eventually going to Seattle, to Northwest University and getting a, a, a couple different degrees, a business degree, a Bible degree, um, ministry, uh, ended up actually then moving to Dallas, Texas for a year with my wife and doing more Bible college stuff there. So we kind of had transitioned quite a bit. And then uh, the way we ended up in Ventura was actually supernatural. I mean, anytime I had transitioned. So when I moved from Spokane, Washington to Seattle, for a season of about six years, I really felt like the Lord spoke to me. That was a major, major transition, uh, transitioned churches, transitioned uh, to, to university, you know. Um, and then I thought we were going to be settled there for a while. And then I ended up getting married. God <laughs> spoke to us to move to Dallas, Texas, of all places. And that was a season. That was a year. And then we thought we were going to get planted there. So I've, any, any place I've been, I've really always looked to get established and planted. And so after about a year went by, my wife and I were just about ready to get established. She had gotten a job. I was almost starting a job there as well. And then one of my mentors, Pastor Jude Fuquay, who's the pastor in Ventura, ended up through a you know, long story short, ended up inviting us out to join a church plant in Ventura, California. So um, all the transitions that I've had in my life, I mean, I've lived in a few different places, you know, Washington, Spokane, Seattle, Dallas, Texas, Ventura, California, now back to the Northwest in, in, in Vancouver here. It's been a supernatural journey. Like I've never wanted to go. I'm, I'm always good. Like I go to a place and I'm, I want to be long-term. I want to be planted. I want to get my roots down. And so I've seen the Lord kind of transition me a few places and it's kind of been a supernatural story every single time. So um, it's a long story, but really super, supernatural. Uh, we were actually a year before we ended up in Ventura, we were driving from Seattle down to Texas and had made us a, a stop for gas in Ventura, California. And I remember, uh, seeing the beach, seeing the small surf town, hundred thousand people or so. And I'm like, wow, this is a really cool community. This is a really cool area. I've always dreamed about being in Southern California. And I remember turning to my wife at this gas station saying, wouldn't it be a dream one day to raise 
our family, do ministry in a city like this uh, and just serve Jesus. And it was crazy. We ended up going to Dallas for a year. And then a year later, one of my mentors, uh, Pastor Jude, was planting in Ventura, California. So I was like, no way, this has got to be a divine appointment. So I was got really lit. I was like, man, we got to go there. I mean, we were just dreaming about this place a year ago. And um, uh, long story short, I kind of just gave it up. And so he was like, hey, what, what are you doing? We're like, I got a job. You're about to start a job here. We're planted here in Texas. What are you doing? I'm like, you're right. So I kind of let it go. And I put like the most radical fleece I could think of <laughs> out there. Because uh, back then I just didn't know that, you know, that there's a better way to do it. You don't just have to fleece the Lord because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. then you can get fleeced yourself. I don't know. Uh, and so, and crazy thing is the most radical thing I could think of, I threw out there a couple days later, all of that would happen. And we got a call, a couple of job offers mm-hmm. and ended up moving down to Ventura, California, which was so cool because we moved there for a church plant. But really, I didn't know that God had in mind for really to, for me to jump into the Bible school thing, yeah. because that's really my heart, my life, my yeah. calling is um, the Bible. And there's, there, there, I don't know if I would have, it was so, it was a divine direction yeah. of the Lord. Yeah. So, I mean, at that time when you got that, sounds like that was kind of your dream, like your yes. dream profession kind of given to you. Yes. And like, do you, like, what, how old were you? I was 25 when I 25 started working at Bible 25 and basically your dream profession is yes. offered up to you. Totally. Did you feel prepared? No, absolutely not. <laughs> because I thought, okay, by 40 years old, I'm going to have my master's degree, my doctorate degree. I'm going to be super solid in my education. And it would be a dream one day to start a Bible college and train people from all over the world. That was my dream. And I was dreaming in, in my early 20s about doing that maybe in my 40s. Yeah. And so when we ended up coming to Ventura, California for a church plant, and then we opened up a Bible college within a year, and they wanted me to be involved, I was like, no way. This is this is crazy. I don't feel ready. But... Yeah, it, it was it was the Lord's timing. It was mm-hmm. great. So like coming into that, was it everything you expected? Did it kind of throw you off? Was it as dreamy as you thought it was going to be? Yeah, uh, I didn't know what to expect. So I was kind of just taking it one day at a time. I love the adventure of kind of just being with the Lord. And, uh, you know, because I had tried to open up doors for myself. Like I finished my bachelor's degree. I was, I was for sure planning to get a master's degree. And the Lord really shut that door and said, hey, actually... Don't get too intellectual, theological on me here. Let, actually put this into practice. And so I remember the Lord led me to actually start a small group, disciple guys that had that I did, pretty much led to Jesus and started discipling. And that, that transformed my life and prepared me for ministry more than what my path was. My path was the educational, traditional path. Mm-hmm. But the Lord kind of threw me into ministry in Seattle, ministry in Dallas, and then, and then Ventura, California. So I didn't necessarily feel prepared because my plans already kind of destroyed how I thought it was going to go. But um, I definitely didn't feel qualified. Uh, I gave my life to it though. And so I think um, I ended up doing a lot more real. I didn't realize that probably most of ministry is actually connected to people rather than just the intellectualization of biblical studies Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And so when I got thrown into the Bible college, really most of my time went into, I am discipling and really pouring into these students and seeing the truth transformed their lives. Because if it doesn't transform someone's life, who cares how much you know? And so I think yeah. I, I started to realize that pretty quick that I'm in the people business, not the Bible study business yeah. in one sense. <laughs> then not the information business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're 25. You're in charge of a Bible college. Now you're a dean. Um, how, did, how did you handle like, you know, you're teaching and you're put with the responsibility of, you know, leading 
20, 30 people through a program that's brand new, it's fresh, mm -hmm. and you yourself are, you know, fresh in teaching. Yes. Like, what was that like in the beginning? Yeah. Um, We're talking about relationships. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. And it was crazy. I mean, we started our first year with about almost 40 students and we averaged about 50 a year for the eight years that I had been there. And uh, so it was a good amount of students. It was more than I thought I could, you know, it, it felt like I was biting off more than I could chew, but really I was thrown into it. So yeah, it was a steep learning curve. And I think initially because I, I was a young leader and I was kind of insecure, I really took like a, I think an insecure approach, which is like an authoritarian approach. Like I felt like, okay, like I'm given this authority. I'm 25 years old. I have, I had students coming in that were actually older than me. I had students coming in their late twenties, early thirties, even a married couple came in and, and he was studying. And so here I am kind of like leading this Bible college, teaching the word of God, uh, to people that are my age and, and even older than me, you know, yeah, yeah, there was someone younger than me, but it, it was a challenge. And so I didn't feel up to it. So I over, I was trying to over prepare for everything. Yeah. And really, I think my mindset was like, okay, I'm in charge of this. I need to control this. And I need to be really authoritative because yeah. my view on the Lord back then was, was pretty skewed compared to what, how I know the Lord now. And so through my, um, view of God is the way that I began to disciple and lead. And that was one of the biggest lessons I began to learn that, uh, that my view of the Lord determines how I do everything in life. And so being like as young as you were during that time, I'm assuming you were under a lot of criticism or like yeah, people definitely. were watching you because you were younger. Yeah, definitely. Or, I think especially, yeah. Um, even feedback from students and stuff like that. Cause we, we just wanted to get feedback. We wanted to grow. Yeah. I was part of a team. Initially, um, I was, uh, a year, I was kind of like an associate dean. And then this, after about second, second, two and a half, about a couple years into it, it got fully transitioned to okay, me. So transitioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of initially didn't really know what I was doing, was under another person. And then um, okay. she ended up uh, transitioning to a different country. Actually, it was called by the Lord, it, it, more a missions person. But so then I kind of took over. But so it was a quick learning curve. And uh, there was a lot of criticism. There was a lot of like feedback of like, you know, uh, hey, uh, we don't like this. We don't like this. We don't like this. And so it was kind of like, I am thinking like, this is how I'm supposed to lead. I'm getting a lot of feedback about what I, what people think I should lead like. Mm -hmm. And because I probably didn't know who I was in Christ fully and really was kind of an insecure leader, it, that was tough. Like it was tough to take kind of criticism in, 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 uh, mm. cause I'm, I already felt insecure and I feel like, oh, man, I'm just not a good leader. Maybe I'm not yeah. cut out for this. Yeah. I remember fighting those feelings for many years, just like, Lord, yeah. why did you choose me? I love this. This is my passion, but I don't feel like I'm qualified. Yeah. Did you have like an ideal concept of how you wanted relationships to look with your students or did they just kind of form without you not like really having an idea how you wanted to look like you just had relationships and we're kind of figuring out how that's supposed to work between you and a student. And like yeah, I think I was figuring out. I mean, I just, um, my main thing was I thought that a good leader and a good pastor was someone that is always there, always available and pretty much, you know, gives their whole life away. And you might, you might think be like, yeah, that is what a good leader and pastor is. But what it led me to was actually to a place of complete burnout. Cause I was giving all of myself to people cause I wanted to love them well and I wanted them to be transformed. So I'd spend all of my time and attention with students cause I wanted their transformation. 
And I didn't realize until a few years later that it wasn't just the amount of time that I spend with them and love on them. Although that was very good. That was very important. I think, um, I think that the students and, and, and guys specifically, I focused on discipling guys. We had a team where we had women discipling women, and, but I really focused on the discipleship and development of men. And so they were very loyal to me because I gave them everything. I mean, to the point where it was unhealthy. My wife was like, baby, you never turn your phone off. So I would, you know, I, I was hired full time. I don't know, 40 hours a week, whatever full time is. I was probably putting in 80 plus hours a week. My phone was constantly on, uh, middle of the night. I'd get text messages. I come home during dinner. I'm on my phone. And so my wife's like, babe, this is taking over your whole life. But I thought good ministry means you give your whole life and you don't have balance. You just kind of always give, give, give. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I erred on the side because again, I, I didn't know what I was doing. So I erred on the side, like I'm going to do, I'm going to be, I'm an all or nothing kind of a guy. So I just gave all my energy, time, attention to people wanting to see them transform, not realizing maybe there's a better way to see the same transformation without me sacrificing my marriage, my family, my health, uh, and everything, you know, like, and I started to realize uh, the first few years as a young leader that I was trying to lift all the weight myself and that, that there's actually a better way to do it to get the same results in a better way. Cause yeah. like I think about even like lifting weight, if you think about lifting weight, there's a couple different ways to do it. You can actually just try to push it all yourself or you can use different tools, maybe like a fulcrum, maybe something else that's like, you can lift smarter, not harder and actually do more with less energy and effort. And so I didn't really know what that was like as far as like discipleship transformation in people's lives. That was a journey I was trying to figure out. And until I really figured it out, I think I was, I over, over, over exerted myself was a kind of busy Martha, always working hard, always trying to figure it out, giving my whole life. And it got to a place probably like, I don't know, maybe five years into it where I got pretty tired and I was frustrated because I actually wasn't seeing the results that I thought. I thought if I just give all of myself, we're going to change the whole world. I came in wanting to change the world and I was like, we're going to do this. And I fully gave myself to it. And then I'm watching some of our graduates year after year. And after I'd given a year to them, two years of really investing in them, discipling them, meeting every week, praying, you know, you know, casting out demons. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, we were doing the whole kingdom of God stuff, bro. Like mm-hmm. uh, in every way, like I, I wanted to get to the root of stuff and I was just giving all this and then seeing even, I don't know, a good amount of them finish a year, finish two years go back and really live kind of a passive life where they're not really that transformed. Maybe they came in addicted to impurity, whatever it was. And now they graduated a little bit less addicted. And I was just like, that's not good enough, Lord. Like, how can I give my life to someone for a year or two years and them not be fully transformed? Why? And I I hated that. I mean, I think I hated about myself, the fact that I was still trying to get transformed in certain areas of my life. And I was still trying really, really hard. And I thought, I'm trying really, really hard. I'm trying to get these guys to try hard. And it just is not working. So I felt, I got to a place where I was burnt out and I actually wanted to quit ministry because I had a business degree and I was like, I'm going to go into, I'm going to go into business. Almost like Peter, like I'm going to go fishing again. Like I'm done with this thing. My Jesus died. Forget about it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to what I know how to do, which is fishing. And so, cause like business for me comes easy. I had a business degree. Like I thought like, dude, I'm just going to go make some money. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing for sure. I'm not doing it the right way because it's not working. So I got to a place where I was pretty frustrated with, uh, with all yeah. this. So like at what point in California, did you get to a place where like people were started getting transformed and you made that switch to yeah. like effectiveness over yeah. spending all of your time 
on one thing and seeing no results. Totally. Um, I think it was about four or five years ago, because it was a summertime and I'd finished, I'd finished a year of teaching students and we had a graduate class and um, it was, it was actually our biggest class that we'd ever had. I think we had like 68 students that year, but we lost a bunch of them before graduation. And then the ones that did graduate, like, you know, graduation night and stuff like that, like it was like, it was not what you would expect. I mean, we're, they're graduating from Bible college and then they throw a big party, which is, looks nothing like Jesus. And it, it was frustrating actually to our whole team, our staff. Like I remember our church was like, I don't know if we're ever going to do this again. We, we literally thought about shutting down the Bible college because after all this effort and time, the transformation we thought was not actually happening. And so we got to, a, and I got to a place where I was like, man, I'm the leader of this. This is my fault. Like I can't disciple people. I can't see people's lives transformed. We probably got to shut this thing down. And I was really, I mean, our whole, our, our whole kind of staff church team was like rethinking, is this what God's calling us to do? Are we doing it wrong? And really the weight of the responsibility, I was feeling all of it as the leader of it. And so I got to a place where I was like, I'm not cut out for this. I'm done. And I really, really internally wanted to quit, quit church, quit ministry, quit this because it wasn't working. And so uh, I felt like the Lord that summer really met me and he said, okay, you're done doing it your way. Cool. Let's do it my way. <laughs> and uh, it took me a couple months to like get my bearings back. And I was like, okay, Lord, like, let's do it your way. <laughs> what does that mean? Because I got to a place, I got to the end of myself and the end of my effort and the end of my education. I didn't know what to do anymore. And so I, I, was, a, I was in kind of in a broken, humble place. And I just remember it, it, I started on a journey and it was kind of like a series of several things. But I remember the Lord started to change my mindset. I think the very first transformation of like my whole life being transformed and the Bible college being transformed was I started to change my approach and thought process. And really the biggest thing was I got a revelation that maybe the Lord wants something different from me than what I think he wants. And maybe, because mm. it was interesting, it was actually a parenting book. I was, uh, we had had London. She was, I think maybe like two years old, maybe three years old, maybe coming up on three. She was maybe two years old, I think. Um, and so this was maybe, yeah, probably about five years ago. And my wife and I were just, hanging out in the summer and we were, my wife was reading a book uh, called um, Loving Your Kids on Purpose, Danny Silk. And she was, she kept trying to convince me like, this is the best book. You got to read this. And I remember um, coming across a page where I was, I was started to read it. And, and, and uh, the question that he proposed was, what do you think God wants from you as a child? What does God desire for his children? What's God's number one goal and desire from us? And then he kind of, there was a kind of a blank page and he's like, don't go to the answer, just answer this before you move on. And so I thought about, I'm like, oh, this is easy. I'm a Bible college director. I've studied the Bible. I know exactly what God wants. Like, oh, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I was like, this easy. God wants us to be obedient. Mm -hmm. And, and then I was like, you know, and then he, I flipped it over and I read and he says, if you answered that God wants your obedience <laughs> then you are going to have a really tough time in your relationship with God and you will have a tough time parenting and you will always parent incorrectly and you will lose your relationship with your, with, with your kids. And I'm like, what in the world? Who does this guy think he is? He has never read the Bible. <laughs> and I was like kind of shocked and offended. I was like, okay, so what in the world is the right answer? 
So, cause you know, he said like, if you parent for obedience, you'll always do it wrong. But if you parent for the right goal, which is what God parents us for, or really leads us towards, then it'll be, it'll transform their life. And I'm like, what in the world? And so this initial thought of like, what does, why did God create us? And what does God want from us started to change my view on God. And ultimately what he proposed, which changed my life is it was the beginning of a life transformation for me was this. He said that we should parent for a heart to heart connection. Cause if you have a good relationship and a heart to heart connection with your child, obedience will be a result of that. But if you parent for obedience, you're going to have to use fear, punishment, threats, and all that kind of stuff. And I began to see myself like, no wonder this is the tools I'm using. I'm using fear and punishment to try to get obedience from my kid because there's, it's the fastest way to get them to respond. Intensity, strictness, and all that kind of stuff. And I began to see, the Lord began to show me that the way I'm trying to parent London, and I feel like I'm failing. Like I felt like I didn't have a connection with her. I would come home, she didn't want to be around me, she wanted to be with mom. And I felt like I was failing in my connection with my daughter. And I felt like I was failing in my connection with my Bible college students and really the transformation in their life. And it all began to culminate around this revelation that maybe I'm parenting wrong or approaching God wrong. And maybe it's because I think God, the number one thing he wants from me is my obedience rather than a connection and a heart to heart connection of relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And so when the Lord started to show me this, I was like, it hit me. And then from there, uh, you know, I, I started getting a revelation of the love of God. I got introduced to, you know, different guys like Dan Moeller. And I just started to see how his whole heartbeat was intimacy with God rather than like a, a strictness of fearing him and not really knowing him. And so I think a series of things on a probably about a year or so journey began to completely revolutionize my mindset. And it started to change everything. And I said, you know what? I am going to completely transform my parenting, my, uh, the way that I treat my wife, my family, my Bible college students. And it started on me on a journey of discovering, I think, the love of God, connection with God. And uh, I, to me, I describe the journey now as I started going from an orphan mindset to a sonship mindset. And that revelation, which led to many other revelations and transformations in my life, was probably the most significant thing that ever happened to me and probably the best thing that ever happened to the Bible college that I began to direct because all of a sudden I realized my goal is not to see someone through a lot of strictness and effort try to transform their life, but actually if they catch the revelation of connection with God and who they are in Christ, if they understand the nature of who they are, uh, the nature of who God is and the nature of who they are in Christ, everything will be transformed. I remember getting the revelation that in Romans 12 too, that don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I started realizing that transformation is not connected to effort or Christian behavior or Christian principles or Christian practices, but transformations connected to the renewing of our mind or a transformation of the way that we think. Because your mindset and what you believe, you'll automatically behave without a lot of effort. When I started to understand that, it started to really change everything. In my life personally, my relationship with God, my relationship with my family, my relationship in the Bible college, and really every area of my life started to get affected. Mm -hmm. I want to backtrack. Sure. Um, and I want to talk about when you were the dean, how you approached a balance between constructive criticism 
um, like, was there a point where you would be very harsh with students because you're coming in fresh? Or, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like, that. like when did you make like when did you make a switch or what worked best? Like, how yeah. did you interact with your Bible students? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, I mean, again, because connected to them. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forty yeah. to fifty students that I'm trying to interact with and trying to really influence their life. My goal is I want maximum life transformation in a nine month period of time. Cause it was a nine, nine month school yeah. summer break. And then a second year you could come back for, we actually even had a third year for a season. Um, but so w- I had students between one to three years. Um, and so initially my approach was, um, and interestingly enough, actually I'll just kind of describe my reputation when I first started at the Bible college. Um, my nicknames that my students gave me that I didn't know till later was because my name was, you know, Vic, Victor. So they called me the Victator because I was pretty intense or the uh, Convictor or the Evictor because I was also over housing. So I was the Victator, the Evictor and the Convictor. Uh, and that, that was their view. And, and some of the quotes that they, uh, that I solidified in their mind was, you know, like if they made a mistake or something, my approach was, if we come down with all of strictness, that's going to produce character in their life. Like the more intense we are, the more of a boot camp in military base this is, the more character they're, develop, they're going to develop. That, that was my mindset. Mm-hmm. That was my mindset. And so uh, a quote that I always said is that grace doesn't produce character. Justice does. So when you make a mistake, we're going to bring all the justice of the rules down so that you no longer are going to be motivated to that mistake. I thought pain was your greatest motivator to transformation and consequences were going to transform people because they were were going to feel the pain and they're going to develop character and they're going to be transformed. So that was kind of my mindset as a young leader. So I was really by the book. I mean, we had a, a handbook that was I don't know, it's evolved to like 48 pages of like really like rules restrictions, regulations of a Bible college. And I thought the, it started out pretty small. I think it was like 20 something pages. And I grew it every single year thinking, you know, the more that we enforce things, the more boot camp like, the more people are going to be changed. And so I thought severity and intensity and justice produced character, but grace absolutely doesn't. You know, grace is for the weak and of the broken, but those that want to grow need the hammer. Yeah, they'll take it. Yeah, they'll take yeah. it. And so that that will kind of describe to you probably my approach. So if someone would come to me and they were, you know, had had messed up, I was tr- I tried to be gracious and gentle with them as a person, but like, dude, I love you enough to make you feel all the consequences of this. And so people were kind of afraid of me. I mean, I didn't really have a good strong connection with them. I mean, I think they loved the teaching of the word and I was really passionate about the Bible. So they loved my classes, but I think most students were pretty afraid of me because I was the one that was able to enforce rules and enforce them pretty harshly uh, by the book, you know? And so uh, initially my connection was, you know, like you signed up for this, you know what you signed up for. So we're going to let you feel the consequences so that you can grow. And what it produced was uh, people would know what the consequences were for bad decisions. So, in, so instead of coming to get help, they would never want to come. They we, we basically we we always had to catch students doing the wrong thing rather than them opening up. Because if they opened up, then the hammer was going to come down. They'd be kicked out, evicted, or whatever. And so they would always. So it produced a culture of like people hiding and putting on a mask. So I thought, man, our students are so awesome. Look how they're performing on the stage or on these missions trips. 
And then they would graduate, they would take the mask off because no one's enforcing any rules and it's like all hell would break loose. And I'd be like, what is the disconnect? And I realized that my approach caused students, and now I'm kind of being like very, very real and open and transparent, probably extreme about this kind of, just to kind of, uh, for people to understand the point. Um, Cause I mean, I was, I, tr- I thought I was a kind, gracious guy, you know, but my, my view was you gotta be strict to produce this stuff. And so um, I started to see that students really were not being changed, but they learned how to behave right so that they could be accepted. Um, but there was no long-term transformation. Um, so, in, and that's what ended up kind of cycling down to a place where it's like, we almost shut the thing down because it wasn't producing the fruit that we thought it was going to produce after several years of doing it. Yeah, like th- probably, I don't know, three years into it, it wasn't producing the fruit. Um, but yeah, so back to your question, re- restate it again because I want to answer it better. Like my yeah, approach yeah. towards students. What's the balance and approach towards constructive criticism? Yeah. Like, so like we've talked about like, at a certain point you were harsh and yeah maybe it wasn't so constructive it was okay. more disciplinary yeah 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 but like we talked about like transformation okay and so you got to this point where it became like you had effective transformation within yes. within the college maybe even after you were gone because of what you implemented yes like what was the approach to that like the okay. effective way like how did you okay post? yeah so um, is there a place for constructive criticism? Too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from basically me as the director to my students, like how did I approach them that was different for the, from, the, from the beginning yeah. to the end? Okay, got it. Okay. So yeah, I would say what started to change is that um, I think, I mean, towards the end, this was the mindset that I started to have was like, you know what? I actually want to be a safe place where people can open up because I realized that if we... Uh, don't preach consequences and harshness, but we actually allow people to open up, be vulnerable and meet them right where they're at and give them grace and not kick them out for every little thing. Then maybe they'll open up and I can actually meet them where they're at and uh, help them get to the root of why they're doing what they're doing. Because really there's a mindset behind every issue. Because I believe that that sin or the problem that we're facing is never really the problem. It's our beliefs that are the problem. And so people were never really able to feel safe to like expose like what's really going on in their life. And so I think uh, they never did. And so that I, we didn't get to see the transformation. I think what changed was I started becoming a, you know, a safe place where people were felt like approachable. I started actually sharing my weaknesses and people started to come and they would open up. And instead of, you know, enforcing like all these strict consequences on them, I would help them through and really help love them through. So I think I started to develop a grace mindset where it's like my goal is actually connection rather than just the transformation of behavior. And then the result was when I loved them and told them who they were and started to help transform their mindset, I think they were transformed. So I think as far as like constructive criticism, I think my my approach began to be, I want I want this person to understand that they're loved and accepted and what they do has nothing to do with who they are. Um, I think, you know, towards the end of my uh, season at CCBC, um, I would meet with students when they would go through maybe something tough or they were in a, in a tough situation or they had really, really messed up. I would sit them down and before I would meet with someone week after week after week after week, trying to disciple them through so that they would avoid this, avoid that, filters on that, like, And before my approach was me every week, hold them accountable, 
focus on the behavior, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I began to partner with the Holy Spirit. And when they would open up, I would almost like ignore all the stuff that they were like thought was the problem. And I would say, Holy Spirit, what's the real issue here? Mm -hmm. And I would actually, I would not treat them like what they behaved or by what they did, but I would start to love on them for who they are. I would start to call out the gold in them for who they are. So like we, they knew that the behavior was wrong. That's why we're talking, you know, and, and they didn't, I didn't need to tell them that they already knew that that's why they were coming and opening up about it or facing me, you know? And so what, but I realized the real problem is their mindset. So I just began to love people and call out who they really are. Uh, they would open up about something. I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Number one, the fact that you're even coming to me and opening up about this, that we're talking about this, that means you care to be transformed. So I'd start to encourage them like, Christ is actually in you. You have a new nature in you. This isn't who you are. You don't want to do this. That's why we're even dealing with this stuff. So I began to just affirm a person for who they are. And instead of focusing on the sin issue, the problem, the behavior issue, I'd start to focus on who they are, encourage them into who they are. And now they're like, wow, that was the best meeting I've ever been in. Because instead of being slapped with what they were already condemning themselves with, instead of condemning them and bringing judgment or, you know, punishment down on them, I began to affirm them, love on them and tell them who they are, which started to actually transform their thinking about themselves, mm -hmm. which led into a lifelong transformation. Yeah. So I love that. How do we replicate that outside of like a Bible college bubble? Yes. So yeah, so my goal in Bible college was to see people transform. So how do we replicate seeing transformation in someone's life? I would say this, it starts with a correct understanding of who God is. If you can't, if you, if your view of God doesn't change, you will never treat his creation differently. Mm -hmm. So when I start understanding that God is gracious, loves me regardless of my sin, has already paid for my sins. He's not pointing at my sin. He's pointing to my new identity. He's pointing to the son that I am. And he's pointing to Christ in me. So when I started realizing that God is gracious towards me and is not beating me up for my, my, my falls, he's not counting my falls, he's counting my steps, yeah. it allowed me to treat other people with grace. I was never able to have grace for my wife, my child, people close to me, or my students until I had grace for myself. Until, I re, I, uh, until my mindset got transformed in how God saw me, I was never able to see someone else different. Because I thought, God's mad at me. I'm garbage. What's wrong with me? I need to try harder. So I would punish myself, be harsh towards myself, be the harshest critic of myself. And so the fruit of that was, that's what I thought other people wanted. I actually almost like wanted people to confront me, to be, to like punish me, to be harsh towards me because I thought that's what produced character. So I yeah. thought this is what I wanted people to do for me. So that's what I wanted to do for others. Not realizing that that doesn't produce character. It's actually grace that produces transformation and is the empowerment for someone to be free. So I think number one, it's a mindset shift of God, how do you see me? How do you love me? And you're not beating me up, punishing me or focusing on my sin because you want my transformation, but that's not the way to get it. So number one, I think a different view of God. And then number two, a different view of who we are when we're in Christ, who we are as a new creation. Because um, I think as we believe, we'll behave. And so I think very practically, instead of like very, very practical steps, like do this, do this, do this, I think it's really a mindset shift. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That, that's what scripture says. Like, uh, you know, the 
um, guard your heart above all things, you know? So uh, other translations say that um, guard your, um, your mind, your thinking, because if you can change your thinking, it'll direct the whole course of your life. So guard your heart above everything else because uh, your heart determines the course of your life. And I would say your mindset will determine the whole course of your life. And in, in Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 6, it says that the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, but the mind set on the flesh is death. Yeah. Meaning that whether you're going to experience life in your life or death in your life is completely dependent on your mindset. In Philippians 4, I believe it says that set your mind on these things, whatever is lovely, pure, noble, you know, of good reputation, all that kind of stuff. There's a whole list of things like set your mind on these things because that will determine your whole life. So I think very practically, you will never see people graciously unless you see God towards you very graciously. Yeah. Um, so I think a revelation of the love of God and the grace of God towards you is the most transformative thing you'll ever experience. And as you're transformed, you're going to transform others. Um, Jesus said it like this, that, or the scripture says it, that we are able to love because he first loved us. So I think focusing on, man, I need to be a better person. Like self-help, self-transformation is actually impossible because we have to first be a recipient of transformation and then we give it. Like you first have to receive it before you give it. So I think we first have to get a revelation of the love of God before we can give the love of God. Because mm -hmm. otherwise we'll just be focusing on trying harder rather than being yeah. actually transformed. So I think that's the biggest key. I think as a principle, there's a lot of maybe practical things to that, but I think that's the biggest key for me, I think. That's good. I mean, with all of that being said, I think that last part, even if someone was just to listen to that part, yeah, that can transform somebody. Yes. That can transform a business, a school, a church, just the mentality of, I know the father and this is how he sees me. So this is how I should see people. Yes. You know, I should see them as sons and daughters. Yes. So I think that's really good. I think that can impact businesses in the way they treat their employees, the way employees treat their owners. Yeah. Um, honestly, just like a very honoring, like a culture of honor. That's yeah. exactly it. Like hardcore honor. Like I honor you even when you mess up. Yes. You know, even though I could have yes. done better, you know, I totally. want to honor you because, you know, I've given you this opportunity and you've taken it and I want to make sure that you don't want to just quit because you messed up. Yeah. You want to give somebody the opportunity to grow into their failure. Like they failed and now they can grow up out of that. So good. Let me speak to that as well a little bit because I think there's a major principle here that applies to no matter what area of life you're in. I think sometimes we think that our position of authority is given to us so that we can kind of control, dictate, and direct stuff. And interestingly enough, Jesus, who is God of everything, who, who could have controlled us, forced us to be slaves and all that kind of stuff, when he comes to earth as, as God to show us, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life away for many. And Jesus said that, you know, he compared his mindset to the mindset of the, the, the religious people of the day. And he said, see how they lord it over? Like they take their position and they lord, lord it over other people. They try to be the lord, the master, the controller. And he said, it will not be so among you. Like I didn't come to do that and it shouldn't be so among you. He said, whoever wants to be the greatest must actually be the least and the servant of all. I think mm -hmm. sometimes we think that good leadership is like this pyramid structure where 
the leaders at the top and the more dictatorship and control they have, the better their organization is going to run. And not realizing that that actually is very destructive because it's it's exactly opposite of the kingdom of God, of principles of the kingdom. Jesus said, you want to be at the top? Get to the bottom. So he took that pyramid and flipped it upside down and says, the greatest person is the one that's at the, at the bottom, loving and activating everyone and honoring others as greater than themselves. So I think one of the things that went, my mindset started shifting with, my, with the way I parented my daughter, who I thought, okay, she's under me. I'm supposed to tell her what to do, mm-hmm. not realizing that actually Christ is in her. There's no such a thing as a junior Holy Spirit. So when I started to honor my daughter as someone that is actually a child of God that can hear from God, I started to receive from her. When I started honoring my wife, when I started honoring my students and saying, hey, I am not your Bible college director to kind of control you or tell you what to do. What if we on, What if I honored you and received from you? And as I gave my students honor, they began to want to receive from me as I loved them and honored them and thought that they were amazing and they had amazing revelation and they were intimate with the Lord. It opened up the door for actually greater influence. So I realized that once that like pyramid in my mind got flipped upside down and I realized my job as a leader or as someone that maybe God has placed in authority, maybe in a, as a parent, as a husband, as a director, as a, you know, whatever, uh, as a minister is actually to, to serve that transformed everything. I think if we as, you know, as bosses began to not use people to build what we want, but to empower people, they are going to become loyal and committed for life. Wow. Yeah. That, that mindset of that. I'm, I want, my goal here is to actually grow you, not use you. Mm -hmm. Because Christ is in you. Uh, Jesus said it like this, or the scripture says that, Honor one another as greater than yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also says this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's an interesting idea that I'm actually going to submit to another person because Christ is in them and they're like Christ. They have the image of Christ in them. And actually, I'm not going to try to control them. I'm going to submit to Christ in them. And I think exactly what you're talking about, that culture of honor is how the kingdom works, is how Jesus did it. Like Jesus came and honored even sinners before they ever became saints. He didn't honor them after they got their stuff together. He honored them before that. He told Zacchaeus who was in the tree, he said, I'm gonna go to your house. I need to be with you. I wanna hang out with you. No one wanted to hang out with Zacchaeus. He was a notorious thief and stealer of money. People were afraid of him because he had the power to take their money, charge too much for taxes. But Jesus said, I wanna be in your house. So he showed him honor before Zacchaeus was ever transformed. And that's what opened up the door for the transformation in his life. So I think I began to see more transformation in people's lives. My daughter, my wife, myself, my students, people around me, when I began to honor them rather than try to teach them or lord my authority or position over them. Wow, that's really good. Really good point. We're just going to end it on that point. Sweet. Yeah. So thank you so much for like sharing like the whole process because we went pretty in depth. I'm sure there's a yeah, bunch yeah. more details in there. For sure. But, I'm a detail guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I feel like there's a lot to chew on there. I feel like we definitely got, you know, some really strong keys that people can use honestly in everyday life, you know, yeah. honoring one another, um, 
giving grace. Yes. And honestly, more importantly, like having grace for yourself and changing your perspective. Come on. To like treat yourself well. That's you know, right. You're a temple too. That's the right. Spirit of God. That's you right. Know? So I, I honestly see a lot of fruitfulness out of this. I hope yeah. whoever listens to this, they receive from it. Yeah. They can take this with them. And hopefully they see, you know, their household change, their business change, their school change, their church change. So thank you Let so me much. give one more oh thought as we end, bro. Because I really feel like someone needs to hear this right now. I remember when the Lord said, Vic, why are you abusing my son? And I'm like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Because I was a Bible college director. And I was like, well, who are you talking about? Like, who did I talk to harshly? I started reviewing everyone I'd met with. And I'm like, he's like, why are you so abusive towards my son? And I was like, Lord, who? Like, I, I'm going to repent. I'm going to go to them. And he said, and I'm like, Lord, I treat my students with so much honor and kindness. And he's like, yes, you do. You're so kind to them. But what about you? You're my son. Shoot. Why are you so harsh and abusive towards yourself? Shoot. And the Lord started to teach me that as I change the way I treat myself, it will actually flow into everything else. So even as you said that, bro, I just, I think that someone <laughs> needs to hear that, that they have been, they're wanting to be more like Christ. They want to do the right thing, but it actually starts with them mm-hmm. giving grace to themselves first. Yeah, they need to start receiving. Come on. So what a blast, man. Thanks look for having at, me. Look at you. Just trying to end it. And Bro. you keep coming back with the keys. <laughs> You're the key man. Oh man. You got them all. All right. Thank you, Vic. Yeah. Pleasure. Hopefully we do it again. Get some more gold out of you. Come on. All right. Thank you. Love you, you bro.